listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Well, good morning. Please open with me in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 14. The book of Joshua, chapter 14. So in case you're not sure, beginning of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the five books of Moses called the Pentateuch. And then comes the book of Joshua, which is actually a continuation of the story that began in Genesis through Deuteronomy and then into Joshua. So Joshua chapter 14, and we're going to be reading Joshua chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 5. But before I say that, let me just uh, tell you, we're currently in a series right now called By Faith. This is a short series, just three weeks long. It's going to take us up until next week and then even up until Easter. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at the role that faith plays in our lives and in our relationship with God. We originally planned this series uh, because this is a unique season in our church's life. We have moved into our own building, and it's exciting. We've taken a step of faith, moved into this new building. It's a stretch for us, and we want to think about, you know, steps of faith during this time as we study God's Word. But we believe that God has opened this door before us, given us this opportunity, and we want to, by faith, walk through it and see the amazing things that he's going to do as we follow him through this open door as he expands our ministry in the future. But, but you also know right now, because you're watching this probably at home, that the coronavirus pandemic is something we're all dealing with right now. Around the world, you know, it's caused so much upheaval, not just around the world, but in, in all of our lives. It's probably touched all of our lives individually as well. And so this topic of walking with God by faith and what faith means. This topic is extremely relevant to us all the more in the midst of our current situation. And I know that many of you are out of work right now, maybe temporarily or maybe permanently. Maybe you don't know how long this is going to last and it's causing you know, some degree of anxiety. Maybe you don't know how you're going to make your rent payments if you don't get back to work in a certain time. And so for all of us, this idea of walking with God by faith, walking with faith in the midst of upheaval and in the face of challenges and in the face of difficult situations, this is really relevant to our lives right now. And I would just say this, that as the people of God who have the Word of God, we are uniquely equipped for situations just like this. And so today, what I'd like to do in our message is to bring your attention to an incredible example in the Scriptures and a very important perspective that the Bible gives us on trials and challenges and difficulties in our lives. So let's read that text, Joshua 14, verses 5 through 15. It says this, The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses, and they allotted the land. And then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt." 
Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became an inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we are in the midst of whatever situations and however this current situation is affecting us, Lord, would you help us to know what it means to walk by faith. Thank you, Lord, for the challenges that you put in our lives because they are bread to us, and help us, Lord, that we would be healthy and that we would respond in the right ways to the challenges we face. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the word faith is a word that gets thrown around a lot these days. And a lot of people use it in a lot of different ways. So, for example, on the news the other day, I heard the governor of Louisiana say that he is a man of faith. Um, but what, what does that really mean? I mean, what does that mean when you say you're a man of faith? The news media talks about faith-based initiatives. They talk about faith leaders. At Hobby Lobby, you can buy that sign that says, Faith, Family, and Friends, right? Which I love alliteration. So I'm glad that faith starts with an F because of faith, family, and friends. And so is faith just a generic word that means that you have some semblance of belief in a higher power? The Bible would say, no, actually faith is more than just believing that God exists. Faith implies trust. Faith implies action, even obedience. I like this definition of faith. Faith means trusting God enough to do what he says. Trusting God enough to do what he says. That's what faith is. And here's what I want you to see as we look at the story today. Here's the big idea of everything I want to share with you today from this text. Just as we need food to sustain our bodies, to keep us healthy physically, we need challenges and steps of faith in our walk with God in order to stay healthy spiritually. Now, I'll repeat that a few times as we go through, and I'll show you from our text how that's being taught. The title of today's message is, They Are Bread for Us. They Are Bread for Us. And there are two key things in regard to faith that I want to bring to your attention. That, that'll be our outline, two headings for you. Number one, the first heading is this, a muscle that you build, a muscle you build. And the second one is the key to spiritual vitality. So a muscle you build and the key to spiritual vitality. Let's talk about the first of those. A muscle you build. In order to understand what's happening here as we read Joshua chapter 14, we actually need to go back and look at the story which we looked in more detail last week, which is the story which is found in Numbers chapter 14. So you might, you know, put, put a thumb in Joshua and flip over to Numbers and keep those two real 
it's real easy to remember. Numbers 14 and Joshua 14. In Numbers 14, we pick up the story of the people of Israel. God has brought them out of Egypt, where they were in slavery. He brought them through the Red Sea, and he's led them through the desert, and now they are standing at the southern border of the promised land. God has been taking them on this journey from being slaves to being free and being in the promised land, and now they are here. They are at the border. They can see the land. It's right there in front of them. They're about to enter in. And so before they enter in, what they do is they send 12 spies, 12 men, a leader from each tribe, into the land to spy it out for 40 days. Now, why did they do this? The purpose of sending these spies into the land was not to decide whether or not they should actually enter the land. No, the purpose of spying out the land was, first of all, to make a plan for how they were going to go, a path for how they were going to enter in. But the bigger part of it was this. They needed a plan for how they were going to occupy this land. You see, at this time, there were already people who lived in this land. And, and those people didn't want to just leave. As the people of Israel come in and say, hey, God gave us this land, these people aren't just saying, oh, well, please come in, right? They're not going to leave without putting up a fight. On the one hand, God had promised to give them this land, but in order for them to possess it, they're going to have to fight. They're going to have to battle. And that's important for us to take note of in, in regard to this situation and as we think about ourselves as well. God called these people to do something which was hard, which, which they knew they should have known and God knew as he was calling them to do it. He said, I'm giving you this as a gift, but you're going to have to struggle for it. It'll be a challenge. It's going to take effort on your part. So here's what happens. The spies, they spend 40 days going south to north and then back south again. They're spying out the land. And as they do this, they're spying out the cities and the fortifications of the people who live in the land. And there's a particular group of people who they see they're called the Anakim, the sons of Anak, and they are particularly tall people. They see them, they say they are giants, and not only are they giants, but they have fortified cities. And what they realize as they look at this is that this job of occupying this land is going to be a whole lot harder than they originally expected, than they originally thought. They knew there were going to be battles. They knew it wouldn't just be an easy thing. It wouldn't just be handed to them. But as they look at what they're up against, they realize this is going to be harder than we originally thought. And let's not forget who these people are. These are liberated slaves. Their entire lives, they have not been trained to be soldiers. They don't have any weapons. They've never fought in a battle before. And now here they are, and they have no idea what they're doing when it comes to military strategy and things like that. And they're called to fight people who are like warriors, experienced warrior tribes with fortified cities and proper weapons. So you can understand why when the spies come back and they give their report after 40 days of spying out the land, their report is this. And they all agree, by the way, I want you to remember that. All 12 spies agree on the facts of how the, how the situation is. The fact is this, it is truly a wonderful land, as God said it was. But... The inhabitants of the land are way better equipped. They're way stronger and they're fortified. And the situation is way out of their league. They are not cut out for this. They are out of their depths. There's no way they even stand a chance. But here's where the story gets interesting. 
Because even though all the spies give the same report, they all agree on the facts. Where they disagree is in how they should respond to these facts and what they should do about the facts. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, they say, yes, it's going to be hard, but God has called us to do it. And because of that, he will be with us and he will give us the victory. The other 10 spies, though, they say, no way. I don't care what God says. This is too hard. Not even God can help us in this situation. It's just too much. And in Numbers chapter 14, what we see is Joshua. Remember, Joshua and Caleb were the two spies who were faithful and said, yes, we can do it. God is with us. Joshua is pleading with the people and he's saying, please, we need to trust the Lord. We need to trust him enough to do what he says. Remember, that's our definition of faith, trusting God enough to do what he says. He says, we need to trust God enough to do what he says, and we should enter the land. Yes, it's hard. Yes, we're out of our depths, but you know what? If God is with us, he will fight for us. And here's the part I want you to see. This is the verse to take note of me. Highlight, circle, underline. Numbers 14 verse 9. Numbers 14 verse 9. Joshua says this, do not fear the people of the land. Why? For they are bread to us. They are bread to us. That's our title, remember? That's kind of a weird thing to say about people, right? Like those people are bread to us. I mean, what does that even mean? I've never heard anyone say that before. Well, let's think about what bread is in the Bible and in the Middle East, in that culture. In the Bible, bread is often referred to as the basic form of food, the basic form of nourishment for the body. In the Middle East, they don't eat rice, of course, because there's a lack of water. It's hard to grow rice. So they eat a lot of bread. You can bake bread in the wilderness. All you need are some very basic elements and fire, right? So bread. Even to this day, you go to Israel, you find this like flatbread everywhere. They still eat it to these days. So people in that area, you know, they also would not eat meat very often. We tend to think that a, a you know, a proper dinner consists of meat, vegetables, potatoes, those kind of things. Well, not in, in that day and age, a lot of times you're eating bread and you're only eating meat on special occasions because it was hard to store and your livestock is basically your livelihood. That's your wealth. So you would only really slaughter an animal on special occasions. So every day they would eat bread, whereas meat, vegetables were on special occasions. And bread was their basic form of sustenance. This is why Jesus, when he teaches his disciples to pray, what does he say? Give us today our daily cheeseburger, steak, pizza. No, he says, give us this day our daily bread, because bread is what they ate daily for sustenance. So why would Joshua say These people, these challenges, these giants, they are bread for us. Because there's a sense in which Joshua is saying, we need this. This is good for us. Not only will we eat them and devour them, right? Because the Lord is with us. But fighting them will do something for us and in us that will be nourishing for us. It will be good for us to face this challenge. I want you to see what's going on here. Joshua and Caleb are not sugarcoating the situation. They are not saying, hey, look, it's really not that bad. We've got this. No way. They're saying it is every bit as difficult as these 10 other guys are saying it is. But if God is with us, 
He will remove their protection from them and he will give us victory. And not only that, but guys, it will be good for us to take this step of faith. It will be good for us to face this challenge. It will be healthy for us. It will be like bread that nourishes our souls. Why? Here's why. Because when you face challenges in your life, you know what it does? It forces you to depend wholly and fully on God. Especially if it's a situation where you're out of your depths, where it will take a miracle. It will take an act of God for something to happen. You see, God promised that he would take care of us, didn't he? He promised that his children, he would never leave them or forsake them. He says, take my hand and walk with me by faith. Trust me enough to do what I say and walk with me by faith. And when you do that, and then you face challenges in your life, whether challenges that you choose because you know they're things that God would want you to do, or whether it's challenges that you didn't choose but God allowed them into your life. Those things, you know what they are? They are bread to you. They are bread to you. Why? They build and nourish your faith. They put you in a place of dependence upon God. And let me tell you what, that is the best place you could possibly be. Also, as you do that, you will get to see him come through and be faithful on your behalf and it will encourage you and build your faith in an incredible way. Remember what I told you earlier. Just as we need food to sustain our bodies and keep us healthy physically, we need challenges and steps of faith in our walk with God in order to be healthy spiritually. In the last verse of chapter 13 of Numbers, so Numbers 13, the last verse of the chapter, it says there, the 10 unbelieving spies who said, this is too much, we can't do this, not even God can help us. They say, we are like grasshoppers in the eyes of those giants. And what do you do with grasshoppers? Now, I want to be clear from the outset, I do not condone grasshopper cruelty. But think about the things that, let's say, mean kids do to grasshoppers, right? Um, you squash them, you stomp on them, you might capture them, you might pull off their legs, right? Grasshoppers aren't really good at fighting back, right? They don't bite, they don't stab you, they aren't poisonous, they really can't do anything. And so, you know, if you're a mean kid, which again, I don't condone any in any way grasshopper cruelty, but if you were a mean kid, you could easily take advantage and beat up some grasshoppers. When, I, when we were in Hungary, we used to do this camp, right? This youth camp. And during the camp, uh, we, the last couple of years I was there, maybe this is why I stopped going, but we started doing a grasshopper spitting contest where you had to put live grasshoppers in your mouth and then spit them through a target. And it wasn't that much fun. Let me be honest. It wasn't that great. Um, and I got to tell you, the worst part about the grasshopper spitting contest is that when you put the live grasshopper in your mouth, and if you don't spit it out right away, they will start to crawl down your throat. And then you have to like choke them up and gag them up. It's horrible. So uh, you guys should go to this camp this summer, by the way, anybody who wants to do that. But anyway, listen, grasshoppers don't put up much of a fight. That's the point. They're helpless victims. And that's what these guys are saying. We are helpless victims in the eyes of these people. They're giants. We're nothing. We're like grasshoppers. And notice what he says. Joshua says, hey, look, we may be grasshoppers in their sight, but you know what they are? They are bread for us. They are bread for us. Um, we, not only will we bite them and chew them and devour them, but you know what? We need this challenge. It will be healthy for us. We need to take this step of faith. We need to trust God. Why? For our own good. 
It will nourish us. It will build us up. It will make us stronger to step out in faith, follow God, take on this challenge, and see him come through on our behalf. Guys, faith is like a muscle. Faith is not a pill that you pop. It is a muscle that must be built through exercise and through use. And like a muscle, you know what happens if you neglect it? You atrophy, all right? The muscle will atrophy and get weaker. I remember when I was in high school, I had this friend and he got a motorcycle. And what he did is the first day he got that motorcycle, he drove it down to my house and we were hanging out in front of my house and looking at the motorcycle. And then he said, watch this. And he popped a wheelie and then a cat ran out in front of him and he crashed. Like he's had this motorcycle for like less than a day crashes, breaks his leg right in front of my house because this cat ran out in front of him. He actually did a fine job with the wheelie. It was just this cat ran out in front of him, right? So motorcycle crashes, he breaks his leg. For a couple months, he's in this leg cast. And then, of course, what happened after he gets out of the leg cast, he had like one normal-sized leg and one really skinny atrophied leg because what happens if you don't use your muscles is that they atrophy. And the same is true of faith. If you don't use it, it can't grow, and it'll actually atrophy. But if you want it to grow, it has to be put to the test. It has to be used, and that's how it will grow stronger. Now, look, you can get some degree of faith by simply hearing the truths of God's word. That's that's even what the Bible says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. We, we can read about the great things that God has done. We've got the record of all of the great things that God has done and how he's kept his promises. And we can see it and we can say, yeah, he's a trustworthy God. But you know what else happens? We need to put that muscle of faith to the test for ourselves. We need to experience it. And as you do that, as you face challenges, hardships, hurdles, those are times when you are forced to exercise that faith muscle and see it put to the test. And as you do and you see God come through, that muscle will get stronger and grow. And apparently it's really important that that happen because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the only way to grow our faith is by hearing God's word, but also putting it into practice, using that exercising faith and, and facing real life challenges. Now you might say, oh man, that is a bummer, right? Like, can't there be an easier way? Well, I want you to see the way that Joshua looked at this giant challenge that they were up against here on the border of Canaan. And what he said is, this is good. This is good. They will be bread for us. We need this challenge in order to grow, in order to be healthy. We need this challenge because this challenge is going to make us depend on God. It's going to put us in a place of dependence. It's going to force us to trust in him. And that will be good for us. I was talking to another pastor friend, you know, when we were praying about this building and we saw this opportunity opened up, we were getting ready to sign the lease. I called up a good friend of mine. He's been a pastor longer than I have. And uh, he told me something really interesting. You know what he said? He said, wow, you know what? Um, He gave me some advice, but then he kind of finished our conversation by saying this. Honestly, I'm a bit jealous of you guys. And I said, what do you mean you're a bit jealous? I mean, this guy, uh, you know, they, they've got a large ministry and they're able to, they've got a lot of resources and the kind of thing that some people would aspire to. And he says, you know what? I'm jealous of where you guys are at. You know why? He says, in my time as a pastor, there have been three times when I led my church through really big steps of faith, right? Big stretches, big challenges. And he said, every time I did that, those were the times when 
I, right, him speaking, when he says, when I and our church really grew spiritually. Those were the times when we really grew together as a fellowship, right? And he says, in some ways, those were the hardest times I've been through in ministry. And yet, in some ways, they were the most joyous times I've ever been through in ministry because we would be there and we're like, this is big. How are we going to do this? This is beyond us, right? What, what did we get ourselves into, right? But then they would come together. They would pray. They would seek the Lord together. They would pull together, and they would be seeking the Lord, fighting together for something that actually mattered, right? Something that they believed in. And as they did, they were drawing closer to God, and God was bringing them together as a body. And he said, you know what? Seeing your situation, hearing where you guys are at at Whitefields, that reminds me of that, and he said, I'm, I'm, I'm praying, this is what he said, I'm praying that God would give us another step of faith to take. I want to know, God, what's the next big thing? The next big thing that's beyond us, that's a stretch, that's a challenge. I want something like that because I've been through it and I've seen that those are the times when you really grow. Those are the times when it really draws us to the Lord and together because then we get to see God be faithful. It's exciting. He says, you know, it's like a muscle. When you work out a muscle, it's uncomfortable. You might sweat a little, but in the end, you get stronger and you grow. And that's why James, in, the, in his letter, he begins his letter by introducing himself and the very first thing he says. So James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and steadfastness will have its full effect that you might be perfect, lacking in nothing. Doesn't that seem to go against all of our sensibilities, doesn't it? To say, count it all joy when you face trials and hardships. Count it all joy? Like, are you delusional? Are you, in, are you not in touch with reality? So I should count it joy when I lose my job. I should count it joy when I'm stressing out and not knowing how to pay my rent next month. James says, yes, you're not rejoicing in the bad thing. What you're rejoicing in is the fact that this challenge, this difficulty, this trial, it is bread for you. It is food for your faith. It is something that will force you to depend on God and seek him and rely on him and trust in him, right? That trial is food that feeds your relationship with God. And guys, I just want to tell you this. My, one of my biggest prayers is that through this whole coronavirus situation and the upheaval, but also moving into this building, you know what my prayer is? That these things would be used by God for his glory and for our good and for the good of so many people. My prayer is that we as a church would end up, as a result of this, more connected than we were before, more, com more connected as a community and more dedicated to serving the broader community at large and getting the message of the gospel out to them. Y you know what I've been seeing as we've gone through this for the last couple of weeks? I have been seeing exactly that. I've been seeing more people praying than I did before. I've seen more people connecting intentionally with each other. I have been seeing more people looking for and seeking out ways that they can serve others. See, as we're faced right now as a society with the reality of mortality, I have seen more people praying for the salvation of their loved ones and for the salvation of people in their community than I saw before. And that encourages me. It reminds me of what Paul the Apostle said in his letter to the Philippians. You know, he's writing from prison. Keep that in mind. And here's what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served the furtherance of the gospel. 
What? Here's a guy in prison suffering persecution, suffering injustice, and he says, chained up, he says, I want you to know everything that's happened to me has served the furtherance of the gospel. Wow. I want us to have that same outlook on what we're going through right now. You know what? Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there are restrictions on our movement. Yes, as a church, we can't gather physically. But you know what? There are some incredible opportunities hidden in this difficulty if we will respond by faith. God can use these things greatly, both in our lives and for the furtherance of the gospel. So may we see this situation with the eyes of faith. May we see with the eyes of faith and be looking for how God wants to use this for good and for his purposes. So challenges, trials, uncomfortable situations, you know what they are? They are bread for us. They are opportunities for us to exercise faith and grow. And, and in that sense, you know what? We need these things. We need these things. They're like bread for us that helps us be healthy and grow and be strong in our relationship with God. And that brings us to the second heading that I want to talk to you about that we see from our text here. And that's this, the key to spiritual vitality, the key to spiritual vitality. Now, fast forward with me from Numbers 14, 45 years into the future, into the story of Joshua. That's where we, we read earlier, Joshua chapter 14. See, here's what happened. Back in Numbers 14, despite Joshua's plea that they trust the Lord enough to do what he says, that they enter the promised land, the people voted, democracy won the day, and they said, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to go into the promised land. They responded fear rather than in faith. And as a result, for 38 years, they wander in the wilderness until that entire generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, dies in the wilderness. And so then the new generation is born. And, and by the way, Deuteronomy is a speech that Moses gave to the new generation before he died. Okay, so in the book of Joshua, we read the story of how the new generation led by Joshua crosses the Jordan River on the eastern border of the promised land. They enter the land of Canaan. Again, this is the story that Joshua tells us, the conquest of the land. And they're in the land. They face one battle after another, you know, for five years until they finally get established in the land. And yet, even though they're established in the land, there are still large parts of the land that are still uh, unconquered. And so starting in Joshua 14, what we read there is that Joshua has divided the land of Canaan up into 12 parts and he's assigning the parts of the land to each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And those tribes are then left with the responsibility to go in and take possession of the, the part that is assigned to their tribe. And, and, you know, of course, some parts of the land are going to be easier to occupy than others. There are some parts of the land where the fighting's already been done. You just need to stay in the land and occupy. There are other parts of the land, though, where there, it's not going to be easy, right? The, there are fortified cities with warrior tribes who live in those places. And so Joshua tells Caleb, Caleb, you get to pick first because you're the elder statesman here. You were around back when we, you know, you and me, we were the two spies who are still left alive. And so just imagine this scene, right? They're probably in a tent somewhere. They've got a map all laid out, divided into 12 sections. And Joshua tells Caleb, okay, Caleb, you get to pick first. Any area you want, it's yours. He could have picked the Mediterranean coast, right? Not a lot of battles to be fought, nice beaches. You can just 
just go and sit at the sea all the time. Kind of a nice place to retire when you're Caleb's age, right? Surely he would want a place like that. Or maybe the oasis of Engedi, you know, kind of like a beautiful place where there's lots of fresh water, lots of animals around there, just a nice place. Or maybe the shores of the Sea of Galilee where there's rich soil to be planted and there's uh, plenty of fish and a beautiful place and not a lot of battles to be fought. But look at what Caleb says, the land that he chooses, starting in verse 10. He says, Behold, this day I am 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for coming and going. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you on that day heard how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord is with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. So rather than choosing a portion of land that would be easy or uninhabited or where the battles were already taken place, right, where there was already done, Caleb chooses literally the most difficult, challenging part of the entire country. Those giants he's talking about, the sons of Anakim, those are the same ones that scared off the 10 spies back in Numbers chapter 14. And Caleb looks at that and says, that's the place I want. That's where I want to go. Give me that land. I want to take some people down there and I want to fight those giants. Why? Why would Caleb choose the most challenging point on the entire map? Why would he choose something hard, given the choice? In his old age, doesn't he want to retire? Doesn't he want to take it easy, kick back? Hasn't he done enough fighting already? Given the choice, why does he choose the most challenging part? Why not choose something at least somewhat easier? Here's why. Because Caleb knew and he believed what Joshua said back in Numbers 14 verse 9, and that is this, that these challenges are bread to us. They're bread to us. We need these things. We need to step out in faith. We need these challenges. It forces us to depend on God. They are bread to us. They feed our faith. They feed our relationship with God. Caleb not only believes God's promise is still true, that God will give them the land if they will follow him by faith and trust him enough to do what he says, but Caleb believes and knows that these challenges, these steps of faith are the key to spiritual vitality. Guys, this is why we moved out of the memorial building and took this step of faith in moving here as a congregation. Why? Because, you know what, we could have stayed in the memorial building and we were totally safe there. The cost was so low. But you know what? Rather than just take it easy and kick back and kind of coast, we want to be pushing forward. We want to seek to expand this ministry, to reach more people, to expand what we can do with youth and with teaching and with the, the Bible Learning Center. We want to serve more people. We want to do more ministry. And we believe that taking steps of faith for worthy causes and fighting worthy challenges and worthy battles, that that is bread to us. It will be healthy and nourishing for us. It will keep us strong because it will keep us in a place of dependency upon God, seeking him for direction and provision, needing him to act and come through and show himself faithful. And as he does, he will get the glory and our faith will be strengthened.
And guys, do you know, this is the posture of God's kingdom. You know what the posture of God's kingdom is? It's moving forward. It's moving ahead, pressing on. Paul the Apostle says this in so many places. In the third chapter of Philippians, he says, this is what I do, pressing forward to what lies ahead, right? That's his posture, pressing forward. Throughout his letters, Paul uses these kind of word pictures, right? The word picture of an athlete training for a race. The, the picture of a soldier fighting the good battle of faith, the good fight of faith. That's the posture, moving forward, um, pushing forward, you know, fighting, engaging in battle. It's active rather than passive. You know, a friend told me this week we were talking about this topic, and he said, well, you know, that's why if you read Ephesians 6, it says that there's this spiritual armor in Ephesians 6, right? It says certain aspects of our salvation are like armor that protects us, right? We've got a helmet of salvation. We've got a sword of the Spirit. And we've got the breastplate of righteousness. And he said, that's why it's a breastplate and not a butt plate, right? Because you need someone to cover your front and not your rear. You're moving forward, not running away. You're not standing in one place. You're moving forward. That's why you need a breastplate rather than a butt plate. I never heard anybody say that, but I thought, that's brilliant. We need a breastplate, not a butt plate, because the posture of God's kingdom is pressing forward, moving forward all the time. You know, when you look at the life of David, I, I find it very interesting that the most vibrant, healthy time in David's life spiritually came when? When he was fighting giants, when he was running for his life. It was physically uncomfortable. At one point, he's living in a cave and someone wants to kill him. And yet this is the time we know, especially from the Psalms, that he is closest to God and his relationship with God is vibrant and strong. Um, conversely, the lowest point in David's life spiritually came when? When he was living in a palace in luxury. It was during that time that he got himself into a lot of trouble. He committed adultery. He committed murder. He got himself caught in a web of lies. And do you know how that season began? Well, well let me read to you how it began. It's one verse uh, that we read at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 11. And here's what it says. In the spring of the year, at the time when kings go to battle, David sent Joab, but David remained in Jerusalem. Okay, let me just, did you catch that? At the time of year when kings go to battle, David stayed home. David's a king, right? This is the time of year when kings go to battle. Why isn't David going to battle? Well, instead, he's staying at home with all the single ladies, right? And all the married ladies whose husbands are away for a very long time, not returning for months. Not wise, David. Not a good move. David's no longer fighting the battles that he should be fighting. And as a result, he puts himself in a place where he's facing temptation, and he gets himself into all kinds of trouble. You know what the safest place for David to be would have been? In the battle. In the battle, that's the safest place. In the battle, uh, there would have been dangerous for sure, but it would have been safe for his soul. And I want you to know that that's true in your life as well. For you and me, the safest place for us to be spiritually is actively engaged in the battles and fights that God has called us to fight and engage in. The battle might be difficult. The, the thing the Lord has allowed into your life. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe your current situation puts you in financial strain. Maybe, though, it might be 
might be a battle that you choose, like Caleb chose a battle voluntarily, a challenge that you choose to engage in, whether it's a ministry that you join, whether it's someone that you decide to pray for or reach out to with the gospel or in some other, you know, temporal way you seek to reach out to them. It's a battle you choose to fight. I want to encourage you to have the heart of Caleb to say, not only do I trust God to keep his promises and give me victory, but I welcome challenges into my life. In fact, I seek them out if they're not already coming my way, because I know that challenges like this are bread to me. Let me remind you of what I said earlier. Just as we need food to sustain our bodies and keep us healthy physically, we need challenges and steps of faith in our walk with God in order to keep us healthy spiritually. You know, Henry David Thoreau said, a man ripens until the age of 30, and then he begins to rot. But here is, here is Caleb, and he's 85 years old. And he's like, I'm 85 years old. I'm ready to lead a calisthenics class. I feel great. Uh, you know, who wants to go spinning, right? Let's, the key to his vitality and the key to our spiritual vitality is this. Continue pressing on. Continue fighting that next hill, taking that next hill. These challenges are bred to us. They are food for our faith. They keep us in a place of dependency upon God. And I want you to notice one last thing in this story. Caleb chooses the land with the giants. He chooses the most challenging place. And it says that God gave him the victory, right? Just as God promised to do 45 years earlier. And here's what I want you to see. This place gets a new name. Formerly, it was called Kiriath Arba. Now, you might think that's just one of these details the Bible gives that nobody needs to know. Here's why it's interesting. Arba, it tells us in the text, was the greatest man of the Anakim who were the giants. In other words, this place, Kiriath, means stronghold or fortified city. This place, Kiriath Arba, the stronghold of the giant. That's what this place means. And now it gets a new name, Hebron. You know what Hebron means? Fellowship fellowship. Guys, let's bring that home, right? Let's think about that. This giant challenge, the stronghold of the giant became the place of fellowship with God. And let me tell you what, that is true in our lives as well. The challenges that you face, the steps of faith that God places before you to take, they are bread for you. The things that you are facing right now, that great challenge, that difficulty, that thing that God has allowed in your life or that God has called you to do that you might feel unequipped for, the stronghold of the giant can become for you Hebron, the place of deep fellowship with God. The challenges you face will be bread to you if you let those challenges lead you to the bread of life, Jesus Christ. This week, my daughter fell. We were having some time outside. She was on her roller skates. She's getting, been getting a lot better, and she's been getting more confident. So she decided to go down the driveway, you know, pick up some speed, and then go out into the street. Well, as she was doing it, she lost her balance, and she fell down, and she hit her elbow, and she hit her, hit her hip, and she was bleeding a little bit, and she got hurt. And of all my kids, she is the least affectionate of all of them, but she's also the most tough. She's also maybe the most independent and strong. And maybe some of you guys can relate to that. Maybe you're a strong, independent person. Sometimes I try to hug her and she will literally push me away and say, no thanks, right? But when she fell, something happened. 
We had a really special moment together. She needed her dad, and I was there for her in that moment. I sat down in the middle of that empty street in the asphalt with her, and and she was hurting, and I comforted her. And then I picked her up. I took her inside. I cleaned her wounds and bandaged them, and it was really nice. And a bond was created between us, or at least strengthened between us, in a way that wouldn't have happened and couldn't have happened had we not gone through that, had she not gotten hurt. Now, she's going to be just fine. But as her dad, right, I don't like to see her in pain. But if you were to ask me, was it worth it? Was it worth it for her to fall and get hurt and, and suffer the momentary pain? Was it worth it for the result of that moment that we had together and that experience of closeness that we experienced as a result? I would say absolutely. In fact, next time she goes roller skating, I'm probably going to throw some sticks on the sidewalk in front of her because it was so special. And doing that again would bring wondrous results to our relationship. Guys, do you realize our Heavenly Father feels that way? Maybe you are a strong, independent person, maybe self-sufficient, might I even say proud. And our Heavenly Father, look, He doesn't enjoy seeing you fall or hurt or struggle. And yet He knows these are the kinds of things that drive you into His arms. As a father, He loves that. And as a father, He's more interested in your relationship with Him than He is in making sure that you never fall. So guys, challenges, whether the ones that you take in faith as you follow God and and seek to engage in his mission and take ground for his kingdom, or whether it's the challenges that you don't choose, but God allows into your life, hardships, difficulties, they are like bread to you. Let them drive you to the bread of life, Jesus Christ. In conclusion, let me just say this. It is him. Jesus, the bread of life, our true hero. He is the one who fought the ultimate giants, the ultimate enemies of sin and death, which we were absolutely helpless against. He took on the true strongholds, right? The the giants of Satan, sin, and death on the cross so that we could be brought to the true and ultimate Hebron place, the place of fellowship with God now and forever. Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that we could experience the warmth of the Father's embrace. On the cross, Jesus took the judgment that you deserved, that I deserved, so that we might receive the blessings that only he deserved for what he's done. How can you be sure that every storm in your life will be used by God for good? Here's how. Because the bread of life, Jesus Christ, was broken on the cross of Calvary for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that great truth. Lord, that you, the bread of life, were broken for us. Lord, that we might be brought into fellowship with the Father. You fought the giants on our behalf. Lord, we're not the hero of our story. You are the hero. But Lord, we thank you that you place challenges in our lives um, in order to be bread to us. Lord, may you grow our faith. May you draw us into the place of fellowship with you all the more, even in the midst of the situations we're facing right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.